Senior Minister here, and it is so good to have you at church. A couple of interesting readings, a wonderful picture of the very first days of the first church and the way that they uh, lived together. I want to start with a picture. I don't know if you recognize this picture. Here it comes. Anytime now. There we go. Uh, this is not a picture of a granddaughter visiting her grandfather in the nursing home. Um, this is actually a husband and a wife. I don't know if you remember this from about 30-something years ago. This is a husband and wife, specifically 89-year-old oil tycoon J. Howard Marshall and his young wife, Anna Nicole Smith, 26 years old. Does anybody remember this? Um, yeah, the marriage made news because he was a billionaire. Uh, he was a, an oil baron, as I said. She was obviously much younger than him, uh, something like uh, 65 years younger. They met at her place of work. Uh, she was an exotic dancer. They got married. And uh, when Marshall died just a few months later, she went to court to get her hands on the money. And uh, it was revealed that actually he had never named her in the will. And uh, it was very sad. Um, so you look at a picture like this, you think, um, you know, did she marry for love? Possibly she did, but it's a little bit hard to believe. And we kind of think perhaps her love was an act. It was very sad. In the end, she spent years in court fighting for her share of his fortune. And uh, uh, she ended up dying very young of an overdose uh, when she was just 40 years old. It's actually a very sad story for her. It's a story of questionable love, questionable love or, or insincere love, love where it looks like the person is playing the part of an actor. Um, their love is kind of pretend or just on the surface, um, a show on the surface, but deep down, perhaps no love at all. And of course, we don't really know, but I bring it up because in our section of the Bible today, Paul says he starts by warning the church against insincere love. In verse 9, Paul teaches Love must be sincere. Um, the word for insincere, uh, for sincere in Greek, um, the original language is fantastic. It's literally like unhypocritical. So our love must be unhypocritical. Uh, for the ancient Greeks, the word hypocrite um, was the word for an actor, somebody who put on a mask and acted in plays. And so Paul is saying love must not be an act. Uh, it must be real, it mustn't be faked, it, it mustn't be unhypocritical, which is probably not a word in English, which is why the translator said sincere instead. And so as we open this last section of our three weeks uh, in Romans 12, that's our theme for today. Uh, the idea of sincere love. My clicker's not working very well. Max, would you mind clicking for me? Oh, the batteries aren't in it, they've fallen out. Becca's looking and she's going, there's a disaster about to happen. Dan is going to try and click. Thank you for that. Have you ever had to put batteries in in front of people and hope you got them in the right way? And then you just make small talk thinking, nobody will even notice. Thank you, Max. You did a great job and now my batteries are working. Sincere love, that's where we're starting. Let me pray for us that God would speak to us as we open Romans 12, Heavenly Father, as you take us and transform us by your Holy Spirit, help us to be people of love. Will you make us more and more like our Lord Jesus in all that we do? And we pray in his name. Amen. Uh, so this is our final week. Uh, we've had a little three-week series all about being transformed, uh, transformed by the love of God. And you remember it started by uh, God 
transforming us because of what he's done. In, in view of God's mercy, our lives are meant to be different. Uh, and so God transforms our thinking. He transforms our life of devotion. We no longer have a life of selfishness and self-devotion, but instead a life sacrificed to God as living sacrifices, uh, transformed in our thinking and renewed in the way that we see the world, uh, renewed as a church in learning to serve one another with specific gifts. And now we're going to talk about what it means to be transformed in all of life. Um, and so if you had to pick one attitude to take into the world as a Christian person, just one word, one attitude, what would that be? It's love, isn't it? Um, well done. Did anybody pick that? <laughs> I would be sitting there terrified. I would have picked like mm, some other word. Service, I don't know. Love. Um, God, uh, Paul actually wants the church to be full of love. He wants the people of God to take love into all of life and he wants love to be sincere have a look at this love must be sincere hate what is evil and cling to what is good at the very heart the christian life is all about love and the reason is because god himself is love that's in 1 john 4 isn't it god is love and as god transforms us into the likeness of his son He's actually making us more like himself. He's making us into people who are just like our Heavenly Father and just like his Son. God is actually restoring us to the way that he created us to be. Children made in the image of God and sharing the character of loving kindness and faithfulness that our Father has. And to be like God actually means that we will cling to what is good and we will hate what is evil. Uh, you don't need to put your hand up but is anybody else here a black and white person? Or are some of you more grey area people? You probably know. Um, I think it can be very hard to be black and white about what is good and what is evil. Uh, Paul, he's very black and white, right? Here he says there's just evil and good. But we've been brought up in a world that says you can do what you want to do. And uh, as Christians, there are many temptations to ungodliness. And it can be hard to say yes to what is good and to say no to what's unhelpful. But Paul draws this line in the sand. Oh, it's actually like, this is perfect. I'm sorry, people on this room, you're not the good ones and you're not the evil ones. It's just how the line works. But he draws this line in the sand with the strongest of language. He says there is good and then there's evil and that's all and there's nothing in between. And so what he's really saying is that God's people, God's transformed people, we can't have a foot in both camps. We can't kind of hold on to what is good and also hold on to what is evil because that would be what hypocritical do you see where it comes from the bit before pretending to belong to god but yet giving ourselves to things that are worldly and sinful and so paul says there's only good and evil and as hard as it might be christians are to cling to what is good and to say no to what is evil to hate it in fact um so, so as we start the sermon today, I just ask the question, I guess, are there areas in your life where you have this the wrong way around, where actually you're clinging on to what you know is not good for you and kind of ignoring God's word in that? Uh, is there a sin that you don't want to give up or is there perhaps something you know is wrong but you keep making excuses for why it's okay to keep it around? Perhaps it's not something anybody knows about. I don't know. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord. If you belong to Jesus Christ... Cling to what is good and hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Let's get rid of all of that stuff that is not good. Because God wants us to live transparent lives with a commitment to goodness. That was a hard word to start the sermon with, wasn't it? Um, a little side note. 
The good news of the gospel is that our salvation doesn't depend on whether we can do this perfectly. So you're not here this morning going, well, if you did enough good things, you're saved, and if you did bad things, then you're not. No, God knows that we sin, and God also chooses to forgive us because of Jesus' death on the cross. If we put our lives in him, if, if we put our lives in his hands, if we trust in him, he actually says, I will forgive you for those things. But of course, if you do put your life in Jesus' hands, then that also means you really want to give up your old way of life. You will want to hate what is evil, and you will want to cling to what is good. And of course, Jesus is what is good. You'll want to cling to Jesus. So you want to flee from sin. And that's really part of the transformed life, isn't it? To change what we do because we love Jesus and because we believe we have a new future in Him. And so I guess when you find yourself in that moment of hypocrisy where you find yourself falling into those old patterns, cling to what is good. Come back to the foot of the cross. Come back to Jesus. Because we're to be people of sincere love, sincerely loving God with all of our hearts and not holding on to hypocrisy. So that's the overarching idea of these verses. Paul's going to apply it in two ways. First is love to the insider in church and then love to the outside. Oh, I always press the back button. Here we go. Love to the inside and love to the outside. So um, let's start with the way that we love inside the church, the way that we love one another. Um, the first thing we're to do is to love one another as if we were a family. So Paul says, be devoted to one another in love. Some of the old translations say in brotherly love, because the love word that's used here uh, in the original language, Philadelphia, it's kind of a family love. Love each other as if you're a family, he says. Uh, early in the chapter, Paul talked about church as a body, and now he's talking about the church as a family. Um, I don't know what you love about your family. I, I've got half our family in Australia right now. Half is actually overseas. Uh, our two kids. Uh, one's living in America. The other one's in Fiji on mission. He'll be back in a few weeks, but the other one not. But I was thinking about family and what we love about family. Uh, we love spending time together. We love going on holidays together. I think there's sort of the love and the hugs and the spending time, the conversation. Not all families are perfect, but hope you enjoy your family. Or bits and pieces of it anyway. Um, family is special, isn't it? You know, when you're part of a family, hopefully it means being looked after when you're sick and hugs with your nan. Um, and one of the things that changes about families, actually as time goes on, you end up welcoming new people in, don't you? There's boyfriends or girlfriends who become fiancés and love blossoms into marriage and then babies are born. And that's family. And it's actually the way that the church should be too. See, real love for God means really welcoming the members of our church into a new family. Not, not a biological family, but one brought together by God. It's what Jesus did with his disciples. Do you remember when Jesus uh, looked around the room and he said, Who is my mother and, and who are my brothers? And he pointed to the people there and he said, He said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Jesus said, you are my family if you follow me. And for Jesus, his followers were his real family. And the challenge for church is to do the same. Uh, I've read a little joke about church. About church, I'm going to put it in here. Um, no, actually about families. Uh, families are a little bit like fruitcake, mostly sweet, but with a few nuts. You can laugh now. I crossed it out and then I put it back in. I crossed it out and I put it back in. 
You know when you've got a joke and you're just not sure that you can sell it because it's not that great? Family's like fruitcake. Church is a bit like fruitcake too. And that is okay. God wants us to embrace those people he's given to us just like we would embrace a new family member, um, you know, or a new grandchild. Or imagine somebody gets adopted into your family. You adopt a child. Doesn't everybody love that person? They just accept them as family. Then they embrace them with all the same love that, that we would freely pour out on a biological family member. And so church, can we do the same? It's this huge command. I think it's really difficult. But imagine if our church was like that. Somebody turns up to church as a widow or a single mom or a migrant whose parents are still overseas or their families overseas, a, a single man or a single woman who's never married. What would our church feel like to them? If, if we were a family like that, they would feel welcomed, wouldn't they? They'd feel like they'd come home. It would feel like you're being adopted into somebody else's family and invited for family dinners and, and looked after when you were sick and prayed for and loved on and included. Can you imagine a church like that? I don't know if this church is like that. I haven't been here long enough. I hope our church is like that. Or I hope we can grow to be like that. Then a, a, a bigger question, not just how does the church treat them, but how do you treat people like that? How does your family include people like that? All right. Second way we can do it is by honoring others above ourselves, honoring one another above ourselves. Uh, as a church, it means we're not going to look down on people, but instead we're going to choose to elevate them above ourselves. See, our world is all about status, it's all about pecking order, but this picture of the church is very different. You know, we don't look at people and go, well, you're below me, I'm not going to talk to you, or, or wow, you're really impressive, I couldn't talk to you, I hope I never give that impression off. Do you remember this started back in verse 3 when Paul said, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. And now this attitude shows itself in the way that we love the other members of our church family. Um, hopefully in your biological family, people aren't treated with contempt um, based on their social position. Um, as church, we definitely shouldn't do that. In the same way, we, we wouldn't treat our members of our church family with contempt. La later on in verse 16, Paul will actually say, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So the church is to have a very different set of values than the world. And our behaviors and our attitudes are be transformed by the God who loved us when we were unlovable. We were at church in inner city of Sydney for a few years. I'm with Andrew and Adele, actually. And there were lots of homeless people and drug addicts on the streets. There were prostitutes and... How does society look on people like that? You know, how does society look on people like that? Well, what about church? See, if a homeless person walked into our church meeting on a Sunday morning, how would they be treated? Our brother or sister in Christ, how would they be treated? More to the point, how would you treat that person? It's interesting, isn't it? And we had... Um, there was a party next door in the, in the CTCC, whatever it is. Um, it was the not rebels, the Diggers Motorcycle Club. I went in to have a chat to them last night about 11 o'clock and uh, I met a wonderful man. What would happen if members of a bike, a motorcycle club, how would, they be how would you treat them? 
Um, the man I met was fantastic. He was such a lovely guy. And uh, as soon as I told him I was a minister here, he said, yes, Father, no, Father. You know, we're too loud for you, Father. Can we turn the music down? <laughs> they were wonderful. So if a homeless person came into our Sunday meeting, or, or what about an addict? What about a refugee? What about somebody with a, a disability? How would, they treat, how would they be treated and how would you treat them? Because God willing, um, we're going to need more chairs in this building. God willing, we're going to welcome dozens or let's, let's call it hundreds of people in the next few years. Wouldn't it be great to see this, this room filled five times on a Sunday? Um, and they won't all be like us. They won't look like us. Necessarily. Some of them will, but there might be all kinds of different people, rich people, poor people, uh, people with disabilities, migrants, people with accents, people with a different worldview, people who've come from a different religious background. You name it, I'm praying that God will bring all those kinds of people to hear about Jesus here at Robertson Church. Uh, they'll be all kinds of different, but they'll all be family in Christ. And I pray that we'll eat and drink and serve and sing praises to our great God together with people of all kinds of different backgrounds. Exactly like it'll be one day when we stand around the throne of Jesus with people of every tribe and language and tongue singing praises to him. We'll all be family in Christ. Um, wouldn't that be great? What a, what a witness to the world if that was what our church was like. Um, next, uh, just a couple of little ideas. Um, where to serve tirelessly, so never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Uh, what is spiritual fervor, this first word up here? Um, this is a great one in the original language. It's like boiling. Keep your spiritual life on the boil. Um, it can be really easy to get tired or to say, oh, well, we had a period of our life when we did that, but we don't do it anymore. It's too hard. Um, Paul says, no, no, don't give up. He says, keep going. Be tireless in the way that you love and practice hospitality and, and serve and give and do all of those things that a transformed life are all about. Um, life is not always easy, but the Holy Spirit will give you what you need. I think that's what it means, keep the Spirit on the boil. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need to keep going in Christ and to keep loving and serving like that because life is full of challenges there's illness there's loss there's disappointment there's persecution but the Christian faces all of those things with a changed attitude a changed attitude be joyful in hope and patient in affliction and faithful in prayer a few years ago we were doing a series in our church uh, all about how people keep their faith strong in the ups and downs of life. And I, I, wanted, I interviewed Amanda. She was a young mom. She had a five-year-old and a three-year-old at the time. I asked if she would do the interview. And we got coffee beforehand to prepare for it. And uh, Amanda was very close with her grandmother. And her grandmother had actually just been diagnosed with um, a terminal illness. And the doctors had decided there was nothing more that they could do for grandma. And so they moved her to palliative care. And... Um, Amanda told her two boys uh, about grandma and uh, through the tears, um, apparently her five-year-old son says to, to her mum, uh, to his mum, uh, you don't need to worry and don't be scared, mum. Grandma loves Jesus and we'll see her again. Isn't it amazing the truth that little kids can understand and believe? And, and uh, although it was sad, this little boy believed exactly the promises that Jesus makes. We will see one another again, joyful in hope. This childlike faith overcoming the sadness 
of the news by pointing to the promises of God. Uh, and uh, it's not just kids who remind us of the truth like that. Sadly, in my previous church, we watched two men die of cancer in the early 60s. Um, one had just become a warden in the church, an elder. And the other one was a man who'd really kept Jesus at a distance all of his life. And uh, in both cases, the one dying had their mind and their thinking transformed by God. And so instead of complaining about the shortness of life and their life cut short, both of them actually chose to draw nearer to God. And they enjoyed a renewed spiritual fervor and they enjoyed a, 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 an enriched prayer life and this new joy in salvation. Uh, and in their suffering, they actually became a huge encouragement to the church as they suffered with patience and hope and shared the hope that they had in Jesus in ways that they never had before. Um, and so as a church here, we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. That's transformed thinking, isn't it? Really changed in real ways. Thinking transformed by the Holy Spirit. Thinking that understands that in this life, it's not all we have. This life is not all there is. And God has bigger plans for us and His bigger plans for the world. Hopeful, joyful, patient in affliction, even patient under persecution, and being faithful in prayer. That is the character of the church in every season. Paul outlines a couple of other ways that the church should show sincere love within the family of God. And I hope you talk about them this week in your Bible study of when you get coffee with somebody. Pull out Romans 12. I think it's such a fantastic little snapshot of what it means to be changed by the gospel in every season of life. Uh, but there's one more application, I think, about how we're to love. And this is love to outsiders. How do you love outside the church? And uh, when I was thinking about how, how can the church love the outside world, there's, there's lots of ways that I thought might be listed here, perhaps, you know, things like doing charity or doing good works in the community or giving to the poor uh, or doing court-supported disability services or soup kitchens or women's refuges. And they would be amazing things if our church was involved in them. And I'm not sure if we are. I'd be wonderful if we were. But that's not the way in this chapter that Paul says we should show God's love in the community. Actually, in this chapter of Romans, Paul says there's only, or actually, he only says one thing about how we can love outsiders, and it's there in verse 14. He actually says, Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. So, in this little passage, this is Paul's only command to the church about how to wear to love the outside world. Out of all the ways that he could have picked, why did he pick this one? Bless and do not curse. Bless those who persecute you. Well, I think it comes back to where we started with. Because God wants his people to embrace love because he is the God of love. And as God makes us more like him, we show the world what God is really like. You see, God loved us while we were still his enemies. And God freely forgives us to, despite the way that we've persecuted him, the way that we've treated him. God blesses even those who persecute him. Uh, when God introduced himself to Moses back in Exodus 34, he tells us all about his character. God says this about himself. He says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. When we love the world, what sort of God will they see when they look at us? Well, in a world with growing hostility towards the gospel and a growing hostility towards God, it will be a great witness 
when Christians pray just like Jesus did, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Wouldn't that be transformative? Well, brothers and sisters, I think that's about all we have time for. Um, but in a couple of minutes, we're going to drive home. We're going to go away for the week and uh, we won't come back together till next week. How do you go home and live a changed life? Not just for an hour on Sunday, but for every hour of the week. What's your love going to look like tomorrow when you go home? How are you going to involve people in church into your family? How are you going to become part of this new community in Christ? And, and more to the point, how are we going to do that together? project that I'm really excited to work on with you for as long as we're here, which I hope will be a very long time. I'd love to see us grow more and more into this family of Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this promise that you are drawing your people into a new family, gathered around the throne of Christ, transformed by love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. Father, make us more like Jesus. Make us more like you. Recreate in us your image. And Father, may we be a light to the world so that people who see us see you and your great love, even for your enemies. Father, help us to be a blessing everywhere we go this week. In Christ's name, amen.